TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. With special reports from Cardinals Camp and the T.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center, this is Sports Open Line on KMOX. All right, time for some hockey talk. You know, the big picture here is that it sounds like, it looks like, it seems like. I don't know if it smells like, but sure has the vibe that the Blues are hitting their stride at the right time at this point of the year. Um, not doing a whole lot wrong here. I mean, you're in second place in the division now. Uh, Minnesota could still catch you, but I mean, you're going to be playing the Wild in the first round. You've had really great success against them head-to-head. Um, you've won nine in a row. You've won 11 of 12. You've, you know, they've had a couple of times this year where they've done the roller coaster, right? Early in the year, really good out of the gate, right? Five-game winning streak got out of the gate. Uh, got a little bit rough there for a while. Got out of that and got into a hot spot. And then <laughs> starting around early March, hit a really rough patch that lasted most of March. I mean, it you know, it, it, it lasted until the very last day or two of the month. And then from that point forward, it's been what we just talked about. It's been winning 11 of 12. They've scored at least four goals in every game starting on March 28th. So you've got a 12-game stretch where you've scored at least four goals in every game. And, you know, if you want to look at it in in, in an even more fun way, I mean, you look at it here lately, eight against Nashville yesterday, six against Minnesota Saturday, six against Buffalo on Thursday, six against the Islanders last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, you're you're clicking the way that you would love to be. And hopefully with six games and a couple of weeks left, hopefully you can maintain this. And I think they can. I think they can maintain this. I mean, this is a team that we've talked about a lot, like the beginning of the year. And, you know, I, I think we've been, I think I've been fairly critical of the team when they deserved it. But at the beginning of the year, my belief was, and it still is, that the depth of this team is what gives them the chance to do this. They're not dominating and scoring a lot of goals because they have a Connor McDavid, because they have a top line that just scores nonstop. They're doing what they're doing because they have a lot of people contributing. You know, there's a chance with six games left that they could have nine 20-goal scorers. I mean, you've already got Tarasenko, Butchnevich, Kairou, Shen, Barbashev, Perron, and Brandon Saad. And Ryan O'Reilly needs three more goals. Robert Thomas needs two more goals. And you could have nine guys with 20 or more. And that's not even the, the craziest thing to me. You you could have nine guys with 50 points or more. And that's, you know, Brandon Saad's got to get four more points the rest of the way, and you're there. The balance is even better than I thought because I think a lot of these guys have gone higher end than I thought they would. So Barbashev, higher end than I thought he would be coming into the year. I knew he was a good player. I liked him a lot, but 
I didn't look at him as a 25-goal scorer, but yet he's at 24 right now with six games left to play. You know, Kairou took a big step. I know it's not been as smooth for him here in the second half of the year, the latter part of the year, but he's taken a big jump forward overall. Butchnevich has been a huge find. He's been a point-per-game player for you this year. You know, Robert Thomas has has elevated his game, and especially here lately, he's just been unbelievable. Vlad has been, I don't know, man. I, this is probably recency bias. I, I don't think this is necessarily true, but I think it's arguable that Vlad is playing the best hockey of his career right now. You know, he had he had better goal scoring seasons, you know, five, six years ago. You know, he, although he could still get up near 40. I mean, he's got 33 now with six games left, but he's way over a point per game, and he's never done that before. He has never averaged a point per game in his career. And he's already got that locked in. He's got 76 points. He's only played 69 games. The most he can get to is 75 games. So he's already going to be better than a point-per-game guy no matter what. I, I this, this very well might be the best we've ever seen him, and that's saying a lot because we've seen him be one of the dominant goal scorers in the league. But because of all of the guys around him, because, uh, look, I, I think some of it is just, you know, he's 30 now. He's grown into what he is as a player. You know, he's, he's, and, and he's always been a great offensive player. And again, maybe I'm just super excited because, you know, he's as good as he is now because this was a guy that they really needed to be this good. But I, I think you could make a really strong argument that this is the best he's played. I mean, um, over the weekend, I thought he was just an, an animal and he's physical, you know I mean? When he was young, everybody called him the tank, and he hated that, and I'm not going to call him that, but he's been physical. He's been difficult to play against. And the depth that this team brings to the table, the number of ways that they can get after you, and and it's true, man. I mean, you've even got offensive production. you got two 40-point defensemen right now, and neither of them, have, well, one of them's played almost the full season, but Krug missed a bunch of time. And he's already a 40-point guy, even though he's only played 60 games, 61 games. And I'd say that there are, you know, anything can go wrong in a playoff series. A couple guys go cold. You know, you have problems with the goalie, whatever. There are clearly a lot of things that could go wrong. But this team is really set up well, I think, to make life miserable against anybody that they face. And one of the reasons for that is because they just keep coming at you. You know, when you're when you're talking about a, a team that's a little bit more top-heavy, whether it's reliant on the number one line or just mostly reliant on the top two lines for offense, well, you match up your best defensive groupings and you can put them on there. But how do you match up against the Blues with the way that they can put together this, these groups? Nobody has three shutdown lines which means guys that aren't used to doing that job have to do that job against the Blues. You know, I think uh, I'm, I'm looking at some of the numbers now. I wasn't looking at these earlier, but, you know, the Blues are fourth best in the league in goals per game. So you're talking about, obviously, 
you know, an elite offensive team. If you're looking at the power play percentage this year, they're second in the league. So you, we know that the offense is there. They've been really good on the on the plus minus too. I mean, you know that when you look at their goal differential, they're as good as anybody out there for the most part. And I, and I do think that the 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 now I was I was going to say the trick, but really the 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 key is probably the better way to look at it than the trick. The key is going to be what do you get in goal during the playoffs. Because funny, you know, look, your goals against average is 10th in the NHL. So you're a top 10 team there. I think they're 8th or tied for 8th in save percentage. So because Villejuso has been as good as he's been, he's been able to salvage it. And Bennington's kind of gradually crept more towards being what you'd like him to be. Still think there's here and there where you're like, eh. But it's at least there's some signs. Save percentage is, is at least 915 here this month. It's only been a few games for him, but it's better than it was before. I've been really impressed with how Huso has been able to maintain this. You know, the question that I had a month and a half ago, two months ago is, all right, if he's going to be the guy, if he's going to be somebody you're counting on, what, you know, can't, can he maintain it? And the fact is he has, he had a little, he had a rough time in March. Billy Huso did. And of course, so did Bennington, but the entire team stunk in March. So I don't know that I would judge the goalies based on the way the entire team was playing. But here in the month of April, those guys have been much better. The, obviously, the team as a whole has been much better, and those things are inherently linked. I mean, there's just no other way to look or talk about it. I think they're in a position. So now let, let's advance this conversation in the next segment because they clearly – are settled in. Great to see them clinch over the weekend. You know, hundred point season again for the Blues. I mean, it's great. they're they're right where you want to be at this time of year, and that is playing well coming down the stretch with a team that's deep enough to do damage in the postseason, and a team that's got the high end skill to do damage in the postseason as well. So I think question number one will be: Okay, is Huso going to keep carrying the load? Is he going to play well once he gets into the playoffs? And if, and if the goaltending is good, there's no reason why this team can't make a deep run, except one. <laughs> and this is the one I want to talk about next. And it's a little early for this conversation because you got to get past Minnesota before it even matters. Do you have what it takes to beat Colorado in a seven-game series? That's going to be what this comes down to because I think if you can beat the Avalanche, you can win the Cup. We'll talk a bit about that next up on KMLX. All right, we're going to get back to baseball at the bottom of the hour. I just want you to hear a little bit of what uh, John Mosellock had to say with Tom Ackerman yesterday on sports on a Sunday morning. He's with Tom every Sunday morning. So we'll get to a little bit of that, and I have a couple follow-up discussions that will follow uh, that that relate to the Cardinals and some of the things that Mo had to say yesterday. Mm-hmm. I want to finish up with a little bit more on the Blues. Eh, once again, microphone just falls on its own. Beautiful. Um, I want to talk about that question that I just asked, and really it comes down to, to I think, you have the advantage against Minnesota head-to-head, right? I mean, even if you're the visit, even if you don't have home ice, you've just... All right, look, it sounds terrible to say it. I'm going to say it. I mean, you've owned Minnesota. This year, last year, under Craig Bruby, you, you've you had 
um, the ability to handle that team. And it doesn't mean you will in a seven-game series. And regular season matchups don't often tell you the story that you want it to tell you. You know, I mean, again, it's the regular season. You, you, people can be missing. You know, look, looking at the Blues head-to-head, because to me the, the key question, of course, comes down to if you're going to have a chance to to make the deep run, if you're going to have a chance to get to the conference finals, uh, get to the Stanley Cup finals, win the Cup, whatever, it's going to have to come down to being, being able to beat Colorado. Well, this year, you know, the, those two teams, Blues and, and Avalanche, are one and one against each other. But the problem here is the head-to-head doesn't tell us anything because it all happened in October. They haven't played since October 28th. And that doesn't tell us anything. But if we look at how similar they are. Now the Avs have a better record and yes, they're better in the in like things like goal differential and a few other advanced things. That's goal differential's not advanced, but in some of the advanced metrics they're better. But it's not as much of a difference as you would think. I mean, you look at it and you're like a 14-point difference in the standing seems like a lot. Well, I mean, it is. You know, if you look at 14 points behind where the Blues are, I mean, you're talking about teams that are going home, that are probably not, that either have to fight for their lives here in the final couple of weeks or not going to make the playoffs at all. It's a big difference. But the goal differentials between them aren't that much different. While Colorado is a really loaded team, and you know, coming into the year, we're certainly, uh, if not the favorite in the West, one of the two. You know, one of the two top favorites. You know that they're that the top end of their roster is amazing. They do have depth too. I mean, uh, you know, that's one thing I think that, you know, when you when you look at the two sides, yeah, you, you'll think of guys like, uh, you know, Nathan McKinnon and all that. And you'll think of the higher end guys, but they have depth behind that too. You know, Colorado is going to throw at you basically what you can throw at at them. I do think the Blues are a little bit deeper up front, but I'd also say the top end for the Avalanche is a little better, and their top end on defense is better too. I mean, I think that's the that might be the the biggest difference. Although I, I still think that there are plenty of ways that you know the way the way these two teams match up, it may come down to very simple execution things. And and look, that may be another one where it just comes down to the goaltending. And I, I don't want to put it all on on that one thing, but I think it's the one thing for the Blues that's just tougher to, to count on as a known commodity, not just in the playoffs, but, uh, well, yeah, I mean, look, look, for the playoffs, but, you know, like, we don't have a lot of history on, on Billy Huso, and he's been great this year, and it's great to know that you have a guy that won the cup there in, in Jordan Bennington who, if he catches a role or if you need him in the postseason and, and you have a a goalie switch somewhere. I mean, he's the kind of guy we've seen do it. It's not about the capability, but, you know, Bennington hasn't been that guy for a while. And, you know, Huso's really getting his first extended run as a guy that that has carried most of the load for a team. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd argue that's a question. Now, I, I would say this, as, as, as good as Darcy Kemper has been, for for uh, Colorado this year, and and as good as he's been these last couple of years, it's not like he's got an extensive playoff history. It, you know, it's not like we're looking at a guy that's won the cup and taken anybody deep and all that. I mean, you know, his his playoff numbers are are fine. There's nothing wrong with them, but it's also not it's not a he's not a player that's ever had the big run. I mean, he he played nine playoff games for Arizona in the nineteen twenty season. 
And before that, he had a run with Minnesota, not, not coincidentally, uh, back in 13-14. But, you know, this is not a guy where, even though he's been a phenomenal player in the, in the regular season this year and in previous years, he's not a guy that you look at and say, we can't beat that guy. So maybe it's not as much, because both of these teams really, you know, the goaltending needs to be good, but the goaltending never really has to stand on its own, I don't think, not unless some things go really wrong. Because these these two teams are both capable of maintaining puck possession, and ultimately that that's the kind of thing that it, that it, that will be interesting to watch if they end up going head to head. I don't want to spend too much more time on that because again, you got to get past the first round before it even matters, and we got to get through six games. And you want to you know you got to be reasonably healthy, and you don't want to be going in losing anybody extra in these next two weeks. But but either way, the, the the trend line for the Blues where they are today is obviously a positive trend. I know they're hot right now, and you know people can argue: Are you peaking too early? You know, could it, it, it's a, and it's a fair question, but you can't control that. I always always thought it was an odd notion that well, you don't want to peak too early. How do you regulate that? I mean, you, you you've got to go out night in and night out throughout the course of a season and try to be the same team all the time. You want you know one of the one of the best traits for a really strong team is some is is consistency. You can't just be like, well, you know what, guys, it's not time to peak yet, so let's hold some back here. I mean, you just got to play, and if it happens to be that this is the best hockey you're going to play, and you know you hit the streak a little bit cold in the postseason, well, what are you supposed to do? Artificially hold back? I mean, it doesn't work that way. It's like the <laughs> it's like the. Uh, the joke, it's not really anything that I don't think anybody takes it seriously. But like, you know, the Cardinals scored 14 today. They should have saved a few for tomorrow. I mean, obviously you're kidding when you, when you say that. And it's the same thing when you talk about whether or not a team is peaking too soon. You can't control it. You 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 play as you play at the moment. Every game you want to go out there and you want to be the best team that you can be. Well, they're at that right now, man. And if they can maintain what they're doing... Well, then we could have a hell of a fun spring starting, you know, with the postseason in May. And maybe that spring hockey leads to a little bit later run. And I've got, you know, I'll I'll close on this, but I've gone back and forth on the team a couple of times, not so much in believing what they're capable of. I've believed the same thing of what they're capable of from the beginning, that if they're healthy and they're playing the way that they're capable of playing, they can beat anybody in the playoffs. And I firmly believe that today, just like I did before the start of the year. The regular season, though, is what a regular season is. It's a long slog, and at times you're going to be amazing, and at times you're not going to get results, and at times it's going to be just mediocre. And we've seen all of those things this year. We've had a couple of different extended runs of mediocre to poor play, as described by Craig Berube and the guys themselves. And at this point, while nothing is perfect and you can always be a little bit better, Right now, they look like a pretty fun team heading into the into the postseason. Now, just hold on. Don't hold your breath and pass out, but hang on to the rails because once we get there, it's probably going to be an interesting ride. But I love their chances in the first round. I love how they match up with Minnesota. I love the, the recent history with them, not just this year, but over the course of a number of years. I think you've got a really good shot there, and then it's on after that. But let's get past that before we get too far with the it's on after that. 
All right, back to baseball when we come back. I want you to hear a little bit of what John Mozeliak had to say yesterday uh, with my buddy Tom Ackerman on sports on a Sunday morning. A couple of interesting things about you know how the season's gone so far, what, what they're seeing out of a couple of different players, and also we'll get an update on a couple of the kids in the Cardinals system as well. We'll get to John Mozeliak next up on KMOX. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. With special reports from Cardinals Camp and the T.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center, this is Sports Open Line on KMOX. All right, time for a little more baseball before we run out of time. Cardinals are off tonight. They'll get back at it against the Marlins tomorrow. In advance of yesterday's loss to the Brewers, uh, John Mozeliak joined Tom Ackerman for their regular Sunday conversation. A few things stood out to me. One, an update on a couple of the kids, including Nolan Gorman, but also kind of an early assessment of of what they what he's seen, what Mo has seen so far from the team uh, in eight games, and I know we all know it's not a lot, but obviously early impressions are just that early impressions. And it's it's just been a, a really kind of a fun team to watch in the sense that we've gotten contributions from just about everyone at at some point in the early part of the season, and you know I think uh, even something like where you're getting to see like a Kisner play a little bit more regularly and, and, and watching him from an offensive standpoint, I think that was the one thing that we were kind of hoping we'd see again, because when he came up in the minor leagues, he was somebody that I think was more defined by his offensive upside than really just his, his defense. So that's been uh, exciting to see early on and, and hopefully he can just keep building on that. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I've really been impressed with kids and, and I talked to Ollie Marmel about this last hour on the show and, suggested that with Molina and Pujols getting a later start at spring training, that's going to be a factor in terms of playing time, availability, and health. And he, he agreed with that. Uh, do you do you see it that way as well? Well, I do. Um, obviously, it was an abbreviated camp for, for many. Um, but obviously, uh, both those guys were late in terms of joining us. And so just trying to make sure that we protect them, you know, especially the catching position. It's, it's so demanding. And... Um, Obviously, we went into this year knowing kids was going to play a little bit more, but even with the late arrival, I think, you know, Ollie's having to juggle playing time and be a little bit more judicious in how he thinks about, um, um, you know, pairing them up and, and allowing each guy to sort of take that next step forward, not only from just pure playing standpoint, but from a health standpoint and making sure that, you know, we're putting Yachty in a position where he's feeling good about where he's at. Uh, another thing I talked to Ollie about was he's had a lot of big decisions already, but that was one of the bigger ones, I would say, last night. Or, you know, you're talking about a big situation, ninth inning. Geo is out there, got out of the eighth, working the ninth. Lefty coming up. He has McFarlane warm, but he goes with Geo. And I, I truly believe this. I think he felt like he probably could have gone either way there. Uh, feels good about both pitchers, but he stuck with Gallegos, didn't he? John Mosellock and, and Geo made sure that opportunity was a, a great finish for him. Yeah, and I think in, in, in Gio's case, I mean, when you look at him, he's not splitty. He's someone that can you know, get both right and left-handers out equally. Um, you know, I think the confidence we have in him is, is very high. And, you know, ultimately right now, when you look at our bullpen, how it sets up, I think he's definitely trying to leverage either, either Gio or um, Cabrera in those spots. And so, you know, I think it's one of those situations where, you know, he's going to look at the most high leverage situations and try to allow his, his top relievers to get those spots. 
I'll be curious to see, of course, what happens uh, moving forward today if if Dakota Hudson doesn't go deep into the game, how that bullpen looks. And one of those factors so far uh, in terms of depth has been Jordan Hicks. Goodness, he came out great. And then you know, if he doesn't pitch today, I would assume he's in line for a start. Nice situation there. So far, so good with Jordan Hicks. Yeah, our schedule's been so erratic in the sense of you mentioned the two rainouts early on. We're off tomorrow. It's, you know, first off, I'm glad we're just playing because we've, we've got to get into that regular routine. And I think, you know, the first you know two weeks of the season, we just really haven't been able to do that. And, and so that's encouraging to see. And then, you know, as you think about where we are in terms of rotation, where we are with getting our, our pitchers work, they look, Verhagen didn't get into a game until just two days ago. And, and so, you know, trying to make sure we're getting the people the right work for preparing for it the long season has been, a, I think, really a tricky part for both Ollie and Mad Dog. Yeah, you had a, a big performance uh, on Saturday, of course, the, the pitching, as we mentioned. But then on Friday, that was also a really nice day for you. And uh, Ollie was quick to point out also as I'm sure you would, the contributions off the bench. I mean, to have Newt Bar, to have Sosa, uh, and you also have had some good bullpen work, uh, young players like Palante coming out there and showing what they can do. Well, I think the, the, the inconsistency of our schedule, again, pointing to those rainouts, has been really hard on, on thinking about your lineup because the, the, your regulars are rested, and, but you're still trying to figure out a way to get Newt Bar some at-bats. You're trying to get Sosa in there. Um, obviously even somebody like a Dickerson probably hasn't seen the at-bats he kind of expected. And so as you're thinking about all of these things, you're trying to balance that out and, and trying to keep guys fresh. So it's nice that we're playing under a roof today. It's nice that we're going to Miami where we'll have a roof. So we know we're going to be able to play. And I think that's, that's really critical just to get us going. Cause as you know, the, the month of April, um, even in May, weather can be a little bit tricky. And so, Getting as much baseball in as we can right now is really important to our success. Speaking of depth, I can't help but keep an eye on Memphis and what's happening there. I don't know how close people have been paying attention with the Cardinals uh, grabbing all the headlines, rightfully so, at 5-2 and two and off to a good start. But this Memphis team, even though they lost yesterday 12-5, they are killing the ball. I mean, they hit four home runs yesterday. They are just crushing it right now. And Nolan Gorman's had five home runs in his last five games. Uh, he came out of spring training little bit of a stiff lower back, right, Mo? And and a little bit of a struggle at the plate just to get timing down, but looks like he's got it now. Yeah, he seems to be doing a, a really nice job at the plate, um, which is great to see. And, and to your point, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of guys on that team hitting right now. And, you know, you think about, like, what Burleson's doing. Baker went deep yesterday. Um, Yepes is swinging the bat. And, that's encouraging. I mean, obviously, when you when you look at how we're set up now with the DH, you want somebody to to sort of emerge from that group that that proves they can be that sort of everyday type hitter, or even a middle of the lineup type hitter. And I know that's saying a lot when you have a, a Goldie and uh, um, <laughs> Nolan in your lineup, but and O'Neill. But it's still kind of exciting to see what you're seeing down there, and uh, I, I think that's uh, good news for us. And even when you you poke your head down to like double A, uh, you know Walker, very young player playing at double A and and having a, a very positive performance early on. So we really like what we're seeing down in our minor leagues. Um, I don't know if you pay much attention to even like 
um, Peoria, but McGreevy's throwing the ball really well. And, and so, you know, fingers crossed that that just continues. There you go, John Mosellock from Sports on a Sunday morning yesterday. He mentioned uh, there at the end talking about some of the kids. You know, Norland Gorman already has six home runs in 10 games down at Memphis. Um, I'd say a 1,200 OPS is pretty good. Uh, but he's not alone. You know, Juan Yepes got off to a slow start, and he's been crushing here in the last handful of days. Uh, he's got five home runs in 11 games and 16 runs driven in already. Alec Burleson off to a good start, four home runs and 10 runs batted in. So, you know, you've got a couple of your big power guys at at, uh, at Memphis doing a really good job. He mentioned Michael McGreevy there at the end. Uh, he was last year's first-round draft pick, so the Cardinals took him at number 18 overall. And I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I'll mention it again. I think McGreevy's going to climb the ladder pretty quickly. I mean, this is a guy, you know, a college pitcher out of, out of UC Santa Barbara who has all of the tools that you'd like somebody to have. But the key thing about McGreevy, yeah, he throws – his fastball can get into the mid-90s, probably a little less than that on average, but can get into the mid-90s. But he's a strike thrower. And in his first two starts for Peoria so far this year, 11 and two-thirds, shutout innings, two hits, one walk. Does that work? Three base runners and 11 and two-thirds, is that all right? Yeah, he's been pretty good. I, I would imagine you'll see McGreevy. Um, I would I would think it, he's in Peoria now. I would think you'll see him in double-A by midseason. And from there, I mean, look, the dude is maybe maybe looking at some big league time next year. I was a fan of the pick in the draft. I don't think that McGreevy is one of those guys that profiles as a number one, but the Cardinals have a lot of success drafting athletic command oriented pitchers in the first round guys that don't necessarily look like they're going to be aces and they develop them to be a little bit more than what people tend to expect. And I think that case will be, that'll be the case with McGreevy. I think uh, that that's a pretty phenomenal player. Uh, and, and, you know, this is his first full season. So obviously there will be some ups and downs and all that, but there's a lot to like about him and be interesting to see how he plays it out. And then finally, just a quick note, um, Mo mentioned Jordan Walker, who was a breakout prospect last year, um, unanimous top 100 prospect. In fact, he's now the number one prospect in the Cardinals organization. According to MLB.com, he's in the top 40 now in a couple of those top 100 lists. And keep in mind that, he is still only 20 years old. In fact, I'm, hold on. Let me, let, me, uh, let me do my math. So he was born in 2002. It's now 2022. He, he'll be 20 in May. He's not even, not even 20 yet. I had to take off my shoes to do the math. I'm sorry. But he'll turn 20 on May 22nd. He's already at double A as a teenager. And he's hitting 355 to start the year. And uh, obviously, you know, Stolen a couple of bags, showing good patience at the plate. He's got a home run already to speak of. Uh, that guy has a lot of upside. Don't know if he's going to stay at third. Probably not with that guy or Arnado there. But Walker's got a middle-of-the-order bat, and he's probably going to arrive pretty young. I mean, not not this year, certainly, and probably not next year. Although, you never know, man. He's already at double-A. He could be pushing triple-A by the end of this year. Anyway, just wanted to give you that little update uh, on those guys at the at – the, uh, top of the list we're going to wrap things up with a with a quick look at how the cardinals shape up against the marlins what we can expect from this series and how this week is setting up we'll do that to close out the night coming up next here on camo x Mark, ready to wrap it up 
Hancock and Kelly coming your way after the top of the hour news here on a Monday night. So your Monday night fixture. We're going to be finishing up just a quick look at the series against the Marlins. So tomorrow night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night down in Miami, uh, the Marlins are, uh, you know, they, they, they're, a, they're a scary team to face because they can really pitch, but they still have major lineup issues. They're not, um, they're not by any means a contender, but they're still, when, when you go up against them, at least with their starting pitching, you're going to have to be at least as I mean, as, as observers, neither the team's going to go out there and just try to execute a game plan. But you know, we got to be a little careful. They've only allowed 37 runs so far this year. Uh, I think uh, in the National League, only a few teams have allowed fewer runs than that. Um, the Cardinals, one of them, by the way, the Cardinals have only allowed 29 runs so far in the year. But the Marlins' starting pitching is really good. Um, you know, their offense still kind of leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, you know, they brought in a bunch of guys like Jorge Soler. Um, Avisel Garcia, neither of them really off to good starts yet, but you know, they're clearly guys that are dangerous. Um, the guy that's off to the best start for them offensively is, is Jesus Sanchez. Who's really swinging the bat really well. It's got some pop left-handed hitting outfielder can, can, uh, do a little damage, but you've got a bunch of guys in that lineup right now. Uh, and by the way, jazz Chisholm, their, their second baseman off to a pretty good start too, but they got a lot of guys that are off to slow starts on the offensive side, pitching wise. They're dangerous, man. Sandy Alcantara, who we, we know well, was a Cardinals prospect and went there in the Ozuna trade. He's off to a good start this year, fresh off a contract extension. Um, you know, we all know what what he's capable and how tough he is. Uh, Pablo Lopez, who the Cardinals are going to get in the third game of the series against the Marlins, is off to a good start this year. The guy that is really interesting to watch for them is is Jesus Lazardo, who for a long time was a top prospect with the A's, and he's had some he had some injuries. Last year had command problems, winds up getting traded to the Marlins and continued to have command problems there. But Luzardo has like big time stuff. Like he's a lefty that I guess the closest stuff comp is probably Carlos Rodon of the Giants. But Luzardo's made one start this year. He struck out 12 guys in five innings and only allowed three base runners. I mean, he's mid to upper 90s on the fastball. He's got a good breaking ball. Like This is a good pitcher and that's going to be a tough series when it comes to who you're facing. Cause when you look at the, at the breakdown, uh, Luzardo is going to start for the Marlins tomorrow. Good news on that is Albert will be in there against the lefty, but this is a, this is a different lefty, man. This isn't your typical major league left-handed starter. It's a guy that's bringing it. And of course, Wainwright getting the start tomorrow night. So, you know, their guy has the edge in stuff. Your guy has the edge when it comes to, you know, pitchability and experience and all of that. Uh, Wednesday, Michaelis and Alcantara looks like a great matchup. And Thursday is going to be a different kind of day for the Cardinals, regardless of who starts it. Um, it. It seems to be a good setup for Jordan Hicks to make his first start. He just pitched on Sunday. So by Thursday, he will have had three full days of rest um, out after only two innings of work, right? Uh, now, that, I guess they're probably going to hold off on that. They haven't made that decision. Maybe they'll announce that tomorrow or something. But it seems like that will be the spot for him to get his first start of the year. And then they can play the matchups after that and see where the game is. So does that mean Verhagen? Does it mean Woodford? Um, you know, they, they'll have a few choices there. Brooks would be another guy that could follow that. So Thursday should be interesting. And a lot of it may be determined by how Tuesday and Wednesday go. But, you know, you're getting three good starters on the Marlins side of this in the series. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, you're the better team than the Marlins. And hopefully your pitchers will we'll, uh, have more success against their lineup because the Cardinals lineup is definitely better than the Marlins lineup. But 
it's not going to be it's not going to be an easy one. And then after that, you'll get into the series against the Reds. I mentioned already uh, last hour. You know, Steve, by the way, good to see Stephen Matz throw really well the other day, so people can calm the hell down. <laughs> After his first start, it's like, oh, yeah, good job, cheap mo, and all. Like, like you're really going to make a big deal out of one start for a veteran pitcher? Man, oh, man. Well, he, he bounced back uh, against Milwaukee and was phenomenal. And that, again, that, just like I don't want to trash a guy for a bad start, I'm not going to start, you know, carving his statue to go out front with Stan and Lou and, <laughs> and all those guys. I mean, I'm not going to. Not going to do that, but it was good to see him with the strong outing. Five and two thirds, no walks, six strikeouts, three hits allowed, shut three, you know, five and two thirds shutout against Milwaukee. That was good to see. Um, and you'll get him on Friday against Cincinnati with Hunter Green going. So the Cardinals are going to get their share of pretty good pitching this weekend. You got, you got, you know, big stuff lefty and Luzardo. You got Alcantara, who's been awesome. Lopez off to a good start. Hunter Green on Friday. Sunday, you'll get another young lefty that you haven't seen before. That'll be Nick Lodolo, one of the top prospects in the Reds organization. Uh, he's a relatively hard-throwing lefty as well, first-round draft pick, all that stuff. So, uh, And then after that, you get Max Scherzer. <laughs> so the next six or seven games, the, the offense is going to have to grind it out. And obviously, um, you know, you're the better team, I, I think, than the Marlins and the Reds. So you don't, not, not that you shouldn't be able to win these series or anything, but you know, pitching matchups are going to be... It's going to be a little bit tough for the next week or so, which is good, man. What we want is entertainment, right? But they're setting up okay. Just got to have your guys match their guys. And the guy that we would like to see get going on the Cardinals side here soon is Dakota Hudson, who's been a little bit bumpy here early on in the 2022 season. All right, that's going to wrap it up for tonight. We've got Cardinals baseball every day the rest of the week here in the evenings. And, of course, I'll be there for you pregame and postgame. Uh, as we get things going against the Marlins tomorrow night at 540. Coming up next, Hancock and Kelly right here on KMOX.